0: these guys leave, uh, they're all seniors, their last chapel with us. Would you thank them for all the work they do? Thanks, guys. And Tatum's going to hate me right now, but um, Tatum's a, a senior as well. Back in the sound booth is Austin, who they're both seniors. And she hates me right now because I've, she works backstage and does an exemplary job there. She also hates me because if an SLM person gets mentioned by name, they've got to buy donuts for their team. So here's 20 bucks to buy donuts. <laughs> well, today's the last chapel of the year. And uh, some of you... Um, are seniors and you're just coming to your last chapel. Maybe you've missed throughout the year, but you wanna be here that last time I talked to some of you are doing that. You took selfies together in chapel. That's why you're here. Some of you are here because you're out of chapel skips. Uh, Some of you are here because you just always come to chapel. I talked to a kid a year or so ago who was a four and a half year graduate. He'd been here nine semesters. He'd not missed a single chapel in four and a half years. I didn't know what to do with that, quite honestly, I I couldn't have said that. Um, I've heard a rumor, and I had it substantiated today, that somebody on the softball team has made t-shirts with my picture on them. I saw one today, so perhaps some of you are here today just because you're John Bray groupies, I have no idea. Please don't take that seriously. I don't know how you get a T-shirt of me. I don't think it's a little freaky, quite honestly. For some of us, we understand. All of us understand. It's the end of the semester. It's the last chapel of the semester. And anytime you use the word "end of the semester," "end of year" stuff, tension begins to rise and, and a stress begins to rise. I want to take you back to a time in my life that. It was a stressful day that I still remember more than 50 years later. It was my first week in fifth grade. And uh, if any of you ask where I was born and raised, I'll tell you, I was born and raised in Chicago. I went to the same school system, lived in the same neighborhood until I was 18 and came here to college. Except, except for two years. For two years, when I was in fifth and sixth grade, my dad took an interim pastor position in Rockford, a city about 90 miles from Chicago. And uh, I remember the first week of school there. I don't remember whether this was recess or whether it wasn't recess. It was a gym class or lunch period. But um, a softball game, a baseball game broke out. And they were going to pick up teams. Now back in where I was from, the kids knew me and I was either picking people or I was picked first or second because they knew I was pretty athletic and I was a good ball player but when you're in a strange place in a strange town and no one knows you nobody knows whether you're any good or not you're standing there and they're picking teams and the two you know alpha males were picking first you know they they chose who would go first and they picked that guy and then they picked that guy and that picked that guy and there were 18 or 20 of us waiting there to be picked and it appears that I'm not getting picked early I was skinny, they didn't know I was athletic, they didn't know I could play ball, and after a while I'm sitting there thinking internally, pick me, pick me, pick me, and I got down to the last guy and me, there were two of us, and this kid became apparent to me over the next couple of months that he's the worst athlete in the school, and he's always picked last, he always wants to play, but he's always picked last, and it hurts him and it frustrates him, but he's wanting to be picked. And I'm thinking, pick me, pick me, pick me. And they did. They picked me next to last. I got picked, but it's weird. I was like 11 years old. And I still remember that day of, I want to be picked. I think most of us want to be picked for stuff. You try out for the play, you want to be picked. You try out for show choir, you want to be picked. You rush to school the next day to see if you made the list, if your name's on the list, if you got in, I remember, you try out for basketball, you try out for baseball, I tried out for baseball here, didn't get picked, defaulted to the track team, got picked there, but then on the track team in those days, everybody got picked, (laughs) wasn't bad, but I wanted to be a a ball player, Um, maybe you have your eye on some gal or some guy, and You hope they have their eye on you, and it turns out they pick somebody else, and maybe it's your best friend, and that's hard on you. You want to be picked, and you're not. We love being picked. Sometimes we wonder if we will be. And when we don't get picked, it does something to us. It begins to mess with us. There's something about us that wants to be chosen, and when we're not chosen, when we're rejected... Maybe it's even for an internship or a job that you're looking for. and You don't get picked, you begin asking, what's wrong with me, and does anybody care, and does anybody notice, and do I matter? And we wrestle through issues of personal significance and acceptance, and we begin to play the comparison game. Maybe we blame others, sometimes we blame ourselves. When pick me turns into disappointment, sometimes life is really hard. Well, I have good news for you today. When it comes to being valued... When it comes to being insignificant, there's at least one place where you are incredibly, astoundingly, amazingly valued. There's someone who has chosen you, but I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Listen now. For he chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. He chose us. He chose people, humankind, to be holy and blameless in His sight. The reality is that man messed up God's plan. Sin became a reality in the world, not just in some general way, but you've experienced it too. There's been sin in your life that seems to disqualify you from that choosing by God but listen to what else the word says about us and about Jesus. Romans 8, Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you're in my New Testament class, that's one of the verses you memorize. And uh, if you are in, uh, grew up in Sunday school, that's probably a verse you memorize. If you ever learn a soul-winning plan to help people Understand how to come to Christ. That's a verse you memorize. And it's easy to just to say it as a memory verse. But to stop and marinate it it, to think about it. We had disqualified ourselves. And it wasn't that we had proven ourselves to God. It wasn't that we had earned anything. While we were still sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us by dying for us. He chose us. And back in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, In him... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. What an amazing reality. I, I think sometimes we get so used to the reality of, of Christ's love and, and salvation and grace and mercy and forgiveness that we lose sight of how amazing it is. We lose sight of how awesome it is. It's a stunning reality, an astounding, staggering, breathtaking reality that God chose us and even when we didn't choose him when we chose sin instead he reached over our sin and sacrificed so that we could be his again God chose us and you're in the us that he chose you don't have to stand there and say pick me pick me pick me the cross is the signal that he already has The sacrifice we remember on this Friday that we're going to call Good Friday is evidence that he already has chosen you. His love is poured out on us. Oh, I wish I could help you understand that. When we get it, when we experience the reality of true love, it has the capacity to transform us. I've seen that happen in everyday life. In fact, I've experienced that. You've heard me tell... I'm about to tell a Patty story. Uh, If any of you are playing John Bray bingo, um, I've already told a story from my childhood. I've already told a story from when I was a track athlete. I'm about to tell a Patty story. Uh, I've stood there with my hand in my pocket and swayed. So you almost have the boxes checked. (laughs) Chapel credit. But you're here anyway, aren't you? When Patty met me, she thought I was a loudmouth, smart aleck, poor excuse of a ministerial student. And she was right. But then we began to fall in love. We hung out together and she said, He's nothing like I thought he was. And she was partially wrong. (laughs) Because I sort of was like she she thought I was. But there was something about our relationship that was redemptive to me. It wasn't redemptive in a soul-saving way. Jesus Christ saved my soul and I began to chase him. Partly because I was hanging around a woman who chased him too. Jesus became real in my life again. But... But I became a guy who was less of a smart aleck, or at least a more controlled smart aleck. I was less loudmouthed. At least I was more sensitive. I began to find a desire, an aspiration to be better than I was. Today I live to honor Jesus, but I also live to honor her. To help her, to bless her, not to disappoint her. By the way, this is not a burdensome burdensome task. I don't go through life going, I hope I don't disappoint Patty today. I hope I don't. It's it's a privilege of my life to serve her. I get to do this. I get to live out in everyday actions the fulfillment of a promise I made to her at an altar many years ago when I said for better or for worse to love and to cherish till death. Let's do part. We see this in some human relationships. I hope you see it in Patty and me. It's possible to live that way and to live in a relationship that way. Love when you realize it and love when you give it and love when you receive it changes you. And we get that. We see it happening. But I think sometimes we miss this in in our relationship with God if we're not careful, we see our, our faith as a kind of transaction, as a, as a decision we make. We, 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 we hear that the wage of sin is eternal death, and we don't want that, and we hear that we can confess our sins, and we be forgiven and receive eternal life, and we want that. So we kind of in our minds make this deal with God. We make a decision to say, I receive you as my Savior, and I confess my sins, and and we feel like we've checked off that box. But then what far too many of us do is begin to equate faith with all the rules that then we then keep. I have to do this, and 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 I have to do this. And I can't do that, and I'm not supposed to do that, and I probably shouldn't do that. and Yeah, I'm not supposed to do that, and I can't do that, and I can't do that. And then we put this whole thing together of rules and expectations. And there's not much joy in rules. There's not much excitement in rules. Life gives them to us to kind of define us and protect us sometimes. But rules don't usually result in joy. They just don't. And somehow we get this idea if we just do enough, if we restrict ourselves enough, if we obey enough, somehow God will love us more. And the fact is, God just loves you. I wish I could help you understand that. I think the Apostle Paul understood that rules weren't enough. In fact, as he writes the book of Galatians, he talks about the following the rules doesn't get you there. As you write Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith. And in chapter 3, he prays a prayer for the Ephesians. Listen to what he prays. I pray that you, I think he could pray it for us too, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I want to read that to you again just so you hear it well. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, God's power, at work in our lives, together with all the Lord's holy people, the people around you, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Massive. Immeasurable. People have struggled for, ever since this was written, to try to explain this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To know something that's Completely unknowable. We know just a little bit above it. So that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. As you understand how much he loves you. Oh, I wish I could help you experience that love. One author said it's wide enough to reach the whole world. It's long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. It's high enough to lift people to heaven. And it's deep enough to rescue people from the hold of sin. To rescue you from where you feel stuck. It's His love that is surpassing and amazing and incredible. God loves you. God loves you. And He loves you. He loves you in the back. He loves you. I wish if I had time today, I would just come out. If it would work, I would take each of you by the hand and stare your right square in the eye and say, God loves you. I wish I could be that purve- purveyor of His love to you. He's passionate about you. If I could help you get it, I would but I know I'm not adequate. Paul wasn't adequate and he prays for God's power to help us get it somehow, to help us understand. Paul prays to overcome our human doubt because we have stuff in us that we go, God couldn't really love me because of this. And we point to some physical inadequacy or we point to some spiritual inadequacy or we point to some habit or we point to some sin, we point to some practice. We begin to list our spiritual failures. Some of us tend to think we're stuck the way we are. We've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. I could testify to that at one point in my life where I never could quite get it. We're surrounded by so much talk about Jesus that sometimes his love becomes a small thing to us, it's just normal conversation. I wish I could help you get it. If you ask me how much Jesus loves you, I would stretch out my hands and say this much. He went to a cross and allowed himself to be nailed there, one hand in the other. And he died for us to demonstrate his love for us so that we could be forgiven. I love watching little kids, my little kids when they were little, or nieces and nephews. And daddy asks, How much does daddy love you? And they go, This much how much Jesus loves you far beyond my ability to describe I wish I could help you get it you know I've noticed a tendency around Iwo. um I wonder if you've seen it it's called the ring by spring (laughs) and you know what I've noticed I've noticed there's some cynicism about it I don't want to be a ring by spring person I've noticed there's some making fun of it I don't want to be a ring by spring person I, I talk to some people who are critical of the, of the idea. I don't want to be a ring by spring person. They make fun of it. They don't want to get caught up in that race of spring. But you know who doesn't make fun of it? The people who are on the giving or receiving end of that ring. <laughs> the people who've caused, who found themselves in love with someone and have that other person in love with them that they devote themselves to one another. Not as a discipline, but because of love. They don't make fun of it. They're joyful they've discovered it. I wish I could help you get that with Jesus. I'm not skilled enough to do that. So I've been joining with Paul and praying for you. That you'll let God's power work in your life until you just begin to get the hint of his love. And that you respond to it. And that you begin to understand something that's beyond understanding. You'll begin to know that there's love beyond your capacity to grasp. Why does he love you? I don't know. He just does because he's Jesus. Why did he go to the cross for us? I don't understand. But I'm thankful he did. I'm wondering if you're tired of thinking the faith life is a list of things to do. It's just a tough journey. I'm wondering if you're tired of thinking of the faith life as a list of rules. I'm wondering if you're... Ready to say, Lord, I'm tired of not getting it. I need your power to get it. I want to get it. I need your help to get it. I need to begin to sense that you actually do love me. I need to get it in a way that draws me towards you. That does what John Wesley once said. Warm, feeling his heart strangely warmed. That just something happens where you go, I I don't get it, but I get it a little bit. God does love me. He meets me where I am. You know that I often say, wherever you are with God, there's more for you. Another box to check. Wherever you are with God, there's more for you. You'll begin to get that if you begin to understand and comprehend how much love God has for you. And that more won't be a dreary discipline. That more will be a response of love and grace. Just running into his arms saying, God, I want to honor you. I want to cherish you. I want to be my best for you. God loves you. God loves you. He really loves you. In fact, I'd like you to do something for me, will you? Do it for yourself. Take that expression and make it personal. God loves me. Would you just whisper that out loud? God loves me. God loves me. Why don't you just say it? Don't bother whispering it. God loves me. Say it again. He really does. And I wish I could help you get it. Would you join me in prayer? Oh, Lord, help me to get it better than I do. Help me to love you back with all I am and for all you're worth. As we bow before you, having said, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. May may something warm in us, may your power explode in us. And help us get something that some of us have never really gotten ever before. Maybe we call ourselves Christ followers, but it's it's a following because we should and not because we're just desperate to honor you. I wish I could make it happen. I wish I could touch every life and say, know that God loves you. I'm not good enough to do that. But on that good Friday, you gave yourself for us. You allowed yourself to be crucified. No one took your life from you. You laid it down. And you did it because of your passion for us. Help us begin to get that, Lord. Can we just sit in the quiet for a minute? The keyboard playing. And maybe you just need to whisper, Lord Jesus, help me to get that. Help me to begin to sense your love. Mm. Lord, I bow before you along with hundreds of students who are bowing before you as well. And I pray that the love of Christ will fill their life. That it will fill them to overflowing until they become more like him. That it will fill them to such a way that they'll be drawn towards you. That it will fill them to such a way that it won't be rules that keep us in line, but it'll be our desire to honor and please you May we understand the reality that you picked us. we have already been chosen. No matter what anybody else ever says or does about us, you've picked us. You've considered us valuable enough. And so we say thank you. And I pray that this Easter season and then finals week and then summer will be a time of increasing joy as we understand your love in an increasing way. We pray these things in the name of the Christ who gave himself for us. Amen. God bless you guys. You're sent out.